Welcome to Vine Baptist. Great to have you along this evening. I really am so glad that you've, you've made it out tonight. Um, it's great to be together. Thank you, band, for, for leading us. Um, it's not just, just songs, but I know the lyrics that sits behind the songs are very important. And I know the band leaders always choose them very, very carefully, start to get a sense of perhaps what God might want to have to say to us, and I trust that you've got that sense tonight as, as well. We've got that privilege now of opening up God's Word. We, we believe it's like no other book in the world, that um, um, this, yes, written by men, but inspired by God, has the power to, to change lives, yours, mine. It's the primary vehicle through which God speaks to us. And without a doubt, I can honestly say, and I can't say this in my earlier years as a Christian, um, yeah, there were times where I struggled through a particular passage, times where I struggled to understand this or that. There were times I even had my doubts as a younger Christian. Something, I don't know, about just doing life with, with Jesus for a long time. I, I can't remember the last time that I opened up the scripture and God just didn't speak to me. So long ago, praise God, but I... It's the best book in the world. It really seriously is. And, and as I say, I, um, I can't recall how long ago it was that I didn't open it up and get something from it. We're talking, we're talking centuries because that's how old I sometimes feel. Hey, we celebrated, speaking of age, Bronnie and I celebrated um, on Friday night. Um, our 31st wedding anniversary. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That clap is really for Bron. Um, what a woman, what a woman. You'll know why in just a, just a moment. Um, it actually wasn't on the date. We never seem to nail it on the date, but that's not important. Um, we, um, we always make a, make a practice of getting away at some point. Um, in our first year of marriage, I was sharing this morning so much to learn about love. Um, I, uh, I recall in our first year, uh, Bron, in the rental that we had, asked me, um, she just alerted me to the fact that she was finding it difficult to, to get to the clothesline out the back uh, due to the grass, which was now technically not a lawn but a crop. It was, you know, reaching, I guess, about a metre high. I was pretty proud of it, frankly. I'd never farmed before, but I figured this was a success. And uh, yet it was problematic for my, for my dear young wife to get to the, to the clothesline. And, and could, I, could I please mow the backyard? And, and so uh, um, I thought, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. We've, we've got an old mower that somebody has, has uh, loaned us. And as I got out there, I sort of thought, looked at this this crop almost ready for harvesting. I thought, what a pity to just take the whole thing out like that. And I thought about the problem this way. What's, what's the actual problem here? You need to get from the back door to the clothesline. That's, that's it, actually, isn't it? So why take out such a perfect crop that's been, been so lovingly kind of raised from, from virtually nothing and therefore, I'll just mow a path for Bron, and actually to make it fun, because, hey, we could it would kind of like be walking through a field. We could put a little bit of a curve into it and so forth. And so I, I mowed her a path that went through the, through the hay field to the clothesline and, and around because, well, you can either twist the thing or if it gets stuck, you need to find your way around it. I thought it was a brilliant idea um, and uh, totally, missed, totally missed the point. It wasn't just the functionality I would later learn of this thing called love languages. 
Wish it was introduced to me a little earlier, but bronze was acts of service. For her, it wasn't just getting from the back door to the clothesline. It was, the, you know, I, here I am serving you, you know, washing your clothes, drying your clothes, ironing them and so forth. Here I am serving you, and I'm just asking that you would, you would do this for me. I totally, totally miss that to, uh, to my chagrin. But, um, but we did come across this book, The Five Love Languages, great for me as a husband, great for me as a father, as we, we identified the differences with our kids. And, you know, one, one might have been words of affirmation, the other one might have been quality time and so forth. And we we're able to more succinctly help our kids and actually one another understand that we're loved. Does God have a love language? I wanted to talk a little bit about that tonight. Does, does God have a love language? Um, presumably, if he does, it's not like ours. I mean, if it's physical touch, that's problematic for God, isn't it? He is going to lose a sense of, of our, our love. But, but the answer is yes, and the passage we're going to look at from 1 John tonight, um, John gives us some insight into what God's love language actually is. Again, it comes about because he's correcting a distortion. There was in the, in the churches, a circuit of churches um, that he was ministering in, there was in those days a distortion of truth again, and as he corrects it, he points out this amazing truth to us that God does indeed have a love language and, and you, can, you can speak it. John is, John is correcting um, a notion that, that, that just because you call Lord, Lord, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Just because you say, I know God, doesn't necessarily mean you know him. Just because you call yourself a Christian, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are a Christian. John, John is trying to speak to that because there are some people who call themselves all of those things and yet were slowly and successfully somewhat sowing um, um, untruth and deception into heresy into the early church at that time. So John is pointing out, actually, these people are not who you think they are. But it raises a question for us, doesn't it? Because most of us at some point in our Christian life, usually early on, have probably asked ourselves that question. Am I really a Christian? I thought I was, but am I? Um, will I spend eternity with God in heaven? How can I be assured that I really do know God? And it is one of those doubts, one of those questions that I think every Christian at some point or another asks themselves and has to answer. And the passage we're looking at tonight has been a passage which has brought Christians great comfort actually over the centuries in reassuring them how you can know that you are actually a believer, how, that you, how you can know you are indeed a child of God. As I mentioned, um, I think it was last week, I, I talked about the two sides of a street. One side of a street is dark and the other side of the street is light. And John seems to be referring to that kind of a scenario when he says, you are either walking in the light or you're walking in the darkness. It's one or the other. Which are you walking in? And we have sometimes, I guess, uh, we can sometimes have doubts as to am I walking in the darkness or am I walking in the light? And, 
And our passage today is going to help us to, to understand that a little bit better. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to 1 John. We're going to read from chapter 2, verses 3 through to 11. Chapter 2, verses 3 through to 11. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Let me read this to you. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anybody obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Well, Lord Jesus, I pray that as we now study your word, that, that your spirit will come and give us understanding. There is truth here inspired by you to encourage each and every one of us. And now we cry out to you. We've said that this is no ordinary book. No, this is your revelation to us. So, Holy Spirit, would you now come and reveal your truth to us? Help us to understand these things. We readily express our dependence upon you. So come, Holy Spirit, come. Speak to each one of us, I pray. In your name, Jesus, amen. In one sense, I, I guess when you first read this passage, and, and trust me, Thursdays is my day to sit down and open up this and read it, at first glance, it, it is a difficult passage. There are some complex thoughts here. And yet, at the same time, it's kind of simple too. I think John was particularly taken by, yes, all of Jesus' teaching, but he's particularly taken by some of the more uh, organic, natural types of analogies that Jesus used. You could think of a phrase that Jesus, Jesus spoke, such as, you will know a tree by its fruit, to understand what it is that John is, is saying here or expressing. Jesus described himself as the true vine. Why would he have to say the true vine? Well, in the Old Testament, Israel was described as a vine, but it proved to be false. 
Israel was actually not the true vine. Through its dis- disobedience, it often um, disappointed God. So Jesus comes along and he says, I am the true vine, not a false one. I am the true vine. And presumably, you know a tree by its fruit, a true vine will produce true fruit. John is basically saying here, are you a part of the true vine? Well, if you are, then you'll demonstrate it with true fruit. And that true fruit, you can only account for it because you are truly abiding in or a part of the true vine. You will know a fruit, sorry, you'll know a tree because of its fruit. I think part of the clue to this passage is to note that there are three expressions that John uses, and they all mean the same thing, but he's He um, uses slightly different terminology. In verse 3, he talks about what it means to know him. In verse um, 5, he talks about being in him. And in verse 6, he talks about living in him. And on each occasion, when he says to know him, to be in him, and to live in him, he is saying exactly the same thing. Likewise, when he says keep his commands and obey his word, and to live as Jesus lives, he is saying exactly the same thing, all being one and the same, to keep his commands, to obey his words, and to live as Jesus did. Some of your translations have walk as Jesus walked. In fact, literally, that's a great translation. Literally, that is is a reflection of the Greek, to walk as Jesus walked. Here's another thing. In verse 6, whoever claims to live in him, the words live in him, Actually, the Greek is the same word as our word over here, abide. It means when we abide in him, we are able to walk as Jesus walks. So John is essentially asking the question here, how do you know that you know God, are in him, live in him, abide in him? How do you know that you are truly an an abiding disciple? How do you know? Well, you will show that kind of fruit. You will walk as Jesus walked. How is that encouraging? That might kind of feel like we just raised the bar impossibly there. If I don't walk like Jesus walked, well, I'm not a true Christian. No, let me, let me actually turn that around. When you walk like Jesus walks, Whenever you do anything that is remotely like God, that remotely reflects his heart, that remotely reflects the way that Jesus would walk life out on this earth, whenever you do that, there is only one possible explanation. You must be an abiding disciple. Because Jesus himself said it, apart from me, you can do nothing. So if there is any fruit in your life, If you have ever walked like Jesus walked, if you have ever done something that just looks a little bit like the way that God would do it, the only way to account for that is not your good striving best efforts. only way to account for that is that would have to come out of an abiding life. That would have to mean that you do know God. 
That would have to mean that you are in him. That would have to mean that you do live in him. That would have to mean that, yes, you understand what it means to abide, remain, stay, tarry in Christ. It's the only possible explanation. It's the only way you can get true fruit. It's got to come from the true vine. Does that make sense? That's how John is helping us to to understand this, and, and that's how we can have some reassurance in our life. By abide, I used this definition a couple of weeks ago. Um, I simply mean this. Remind yourself who you are in Jesus Christ. And when you have brought to mind that truth, stay there. Remain there. Abide in there, in that truth. Um, it's why a lot of a lot of Christians find it very, very helpful to start the day with a, a devotional, a quiet time, just a, some time to, to spend in prayer and, and so forth. It's like, I guess it's a little bit like tuning a guitar before you, before you play. God wants to use you as his instrument throughout the day. And and best way to start that is to kind of tune into God, to be tuned, to attune yourself to a fundamental truth. And that is you are a child of God. Um, throughout the Gospels, it's common that followers of Jesus were called disciples. That language is used throughout the rest of the New Testament too. But another term that is significant is that Christians were believers. Abiding in Jesus is, is believing that what God says about you is actually true. It's about bringing to mind the truths spoken over you as a child of God and abiding in that throughout the rest of the day. It's believing more than anything else that is spoken over you or that you might even speak to yourself. It's believing that the one thing that I know to be true about me is what God says to be true about me. That what God says about me is the most important thing about me. Abiding in that truth is the the core of the Christian life. And do that and fruit will come. You will find yourself able to to walk as Jesus walked. This morning I I had Dan Craig come up and share just a, a little testimony we were um, had a little bit of a re- mini retreat the other day, and and uh, Bron and I spent some time with Dan and Joe across the table, and and Bron asked a, a question. She said, "I know for for both of you, the first time you did the Freedom in Christ course, it was really significant for you. Tell me about that. What was it that was so transformational?" And Dan just started to to speak speak across the table. Uh, you know, how it had an impact on him. And, and uh, I sat there and I thought, I want the whole church to hear that. So I got him up this morning. He can't be with us this evening, but essentially what he said was this. Brought up in a Christian home, awesome parents. Um, he, he really he became a Christian at an early age. But there was just one little thing, just one little thing that just didn't gel for him until he did the Freedom in Christ course. He thought that being a Christian was all about the fruit, was all about behaving like a Christian. He didn't realize that the fruit 
was, was simply the product of his identity in Christ. He said it was like, it was like um, in, in, in Genesis, God created Adam, and there he was, you know, a, a, a body perfectly formed. Everything was there. Everything that should be there was there until God breathed life into him. And he said it was like, when I did the Freedom in Christ course, it was like a breath of life in me. I suddenly realized who I was in Christ. I suddenly realized that the whole of the Christian life is, is rooted in that, in, in that understanding that I am in Christ and Christ is in me, that it is Jesus living within me that, that has actually, actually brought me to life. And I don't have to strive to produce fruit. It's the most natural thing in the whole world. It naturally stems out of the abiding life, living in the truth of what God says about me. It's why we had that, that uh, little um, phrase we, we, uh, for the last couple of years as part of our, our teaching, learning to walk on earth as we are known in heaven. Learning to walk as Jesus walked, you might say, as we are known in heaven. Um, because what God says about you and I is the most important thing about you and I. Um, let me see if this illustration might help us as well. Years ago, Bron and I, we, we love a, a good, wholesome, clean action thriller. And there was one in particular with Kevin Costner. I forget the, the actual name of the film, but he was a, a bit of an mm, aging CIA agent who, when he hit some health issues, had some regrets. His main regret was that because he had this secret life as a CIA agent, um, he was estranged from his wife and his daughter. Now, he never, he never fell in love again. He never remarried or anything. But, but now, as a, I guess, looking down the barrel of, of, of possibly an illness that could take his life, he wants to reconnect with his wife and his, and his daughter. And it's not easy. She's in a, a difficult teenage sort of season of life. I don't know, none of us can kind of get that at all. But I guess feeling a little bit of angst towards her father, um, she's not going to make it easy for him to just walk back into her life after all of those years of missing, of, you know, nobody taught me to ride a bicycle and so forth. And so it's, it's kind of hard work for him to connect with her once more. But the inroad that he's been looking for to kind of reconnect with with his daughter, finally comes because um, she's, got a, she's got sort of a debutante thing happening at school and, and uh, a guy, she's, you know, a, 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 got a little bit of a crush on and, and he's going to take her to this debutante ball and, and, and the thing she's most frightened of, actually, is that she doesn't know how to dance. There will be a dance, a dance moment there and she doesn't know how to dance. And... Uh, the dad says, well, hey, I could teach you to dance. And she says, really? And, and this is that moment in the film where sort of everything turns and it's kind of a sweet little moment between the father and the daughter. And she says, you can teach me to dance? Sure. And he, and he puts on a, a really, really cool, slow jazz song and, and he says, just, just, just follow me. And all of a sudden, in no time at all, they are just dancing perfectly together, father, daughter, and for the first time in the film, there's this smile across her face, and, 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 and you kind of feel like this is that moment where everything's turning. This is that sweet moment 
where there is now a, a connection, a relationship between the father and the daughter. And look at them dancing. And, and they, you would think that they've been doing it all of their lives. Like, how is this so? And then the camera sort of drops from their faces where dad has this contented look on his face like, this is what I wanted. And the daughter has this smile on her face like, I'm making a connection with dad. This is cool. The relationship is starting to be restored. And then the camera just drops to their feet and you realize why they're dancing so, so easily together. It's because she's actually standing on his feet. And as he moves his feet, she's just moving with him perfectly. And in this, it's just synced so that all she has to do is just keep her feet with dad's feet. And there's this lovely dance take place. There could be no dance without relationship. There can be no walking like Jesus walks without relationship with God. How do you know that you are in relationship with God? Because you're able to walk like Jesus walks. And no, that doesn't mean the perfect walk. It doesn't mean that I've got it all together. That's not the measure here. That's not the metric we take to ourselves. If there is any fruit... There is only one place that that fruit could have come from, an abiding relationship with God. And John uses that as the way to reassure people that you can truly know that you are in relationship with God. Essentially, he answers it this way. He says, you will know you're abiding in Jesus when you walk as Jesus walked. You'll know you're abiding in Jesus when you walk as Jesus walked. And then he goes on, and in verse 5, and this is, is an amazing little verse. We're going to get to it in a moment. But now he goes on and he says something else. You will know that you are abiding in Jesus when you walk as Jesus walks, and you will know that his love, God's love, abides in you when you want to walk like Jesus walked. Look at verse 5. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Now this, I don't know about you, but have a look at that verse. If anyone obeys the word of God, God's love is made complete in them. Word can also be translated perfect in them. Now that, I don't know about you, but that feels almost a bit far-fetched. Is that possible? I know, haven't we, I mean, none of us have ever made it. And yet the word is very, very clear. Completed and perfect. It's like our spiritual maturity comes to a level of perfection. When we obey God's word, his love, the love of God in us, comes to a level of completeness and perfection that only God could bring. It's a beautiful, remarkable, frankly, astounding promise. But what I believe John is saying here is simply this. That when we want to walk like God, when we want to obey him, again, there's only one place that desire could come from. The desire 
in you and I to walk like Jesus walked, that doesn't come from you and I. That comes from God. We are now reflecting God's very own heart. We're now reflecting the love of God. The love of God is now actually shaping us. It's shaping our motives and our will. And that comes from from God as well. My desire to walk as Jesus walked shows that his love abides in me, is maturing perfectly in me. In um, John 17, John records Jesus' high priestly prayer. Right at the end, in verse 26, uh, Jesus prays this. This is the very end of his prayer. And he says, I have made you known. I've revealed you to the disciples and I will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me will be in them. I don't know if you can follow that. Jesus is basically saying, let's picture, picture there are the disciples. Jesus is basically saying, I revealed you to them so that the love that you have for me will be in them. Think about it this way. I revealed you to them. I revealed your heart to them. I revealed what your love looks like. I revealed what your love for me looks like. And it's now in them. Why? So that they too may have that same love for me. We've all heard the the great commandment, love the Lord your God of all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love others over yourself. And we've sort of thought, all right, I'm going to try That kind of fruit can only come from a relationship with God. Jesus' prayer is simply this, that the love that you have for God, that the love you have for me, Jesus Christ, it will come from God. Because your best efforts to love me, they won't be enough. No, you need to have a love like God has a love. You need to love the Son like the Father loves the Son. And I can do that as I reveal what his love looks like. I can do that. I, in relationship with me, I can give you a love like God's love. Um, I think about it this way. Um, last year, I actually thought, you know what? I, many, many years ago, I, I read through the Freedom in Christ material, uh, particularly Neil Anderson's books and that sort of thing. Um, I was actually writing a course for a training organization at the time, and, and as I, I was using this as my source, but I got incredibly blessed by it, so I knew the material. But I actually hadn't done the Freedom in Christ course that, that we do as a church. So, so last year I decided I'm going to do it and, 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 and loved it. Um, in fact, I think we need to change our language from I have done the Freedom in Christ course to I am doing it. Meaning that it's not just the six to eight week course. It's the biblical principles that you apply to your life every day so that we change our language around the church. We never say we've done it. We're always doing it. We're always taking the biblical principles out of the course and, and applying it to our everyday life. So need to change our language there. I'm doing the Freedom in Christ course. As I was doing it for the first time, um, I was listening to a particular session on forgiveness. And a number of things struck me, and it was, it's a great little session, but I had a thought, and it, wasn't, it was kind of triggered by something that they were saying, but it was simply this. There's a whole lot of reasons why God commands us to forgive, a whole lot of reasons why it's good to forgive. There are therapeutic benefits. It's good for me to forgive. But here's the thing that I, I, I kind of felt God saying to me. Stuart, the importance of forgiving is this. Do you believe that I live within you? And I thought, yes, I do, Lord. 
when you think about somebody who may have sinned against you, do you believe that I've forgiven them? Yes, Lord. I just need you to agree with me. Because when I agree that Jesus has forgiven that person, I am in alignment with Jesus who lives within me. But when I, when I do not forgive them, it's like I am disagreeing with Jesus who lives within me. I am disagreeing with Jesus about whether they are worthy to be forgiven. Let me turn that around now to love. Same principle. My call to love others is, has the same root. Jesus lives in me. When I think about somebody that I am called to love, I again hear the words of Jesus saying, Stuart, do you believe that I love that person? The answer is yes. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Absolutely. I believe you love them. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they've done. I believe you love them. And then I hear the voice of God saying, okay, it's good to establish that. Stuart, do you agree with me that they should be loved? The extent to which I agree with Jesus in that moment is the extent to which I am aligned with the heart of God, the heart of Christ who lives within me. The extent to which I hold out and say, I'm not ready to do that. I'm not ready to forgive them, or I'm not ready to love them, or I'm not ready to, to whatever it might be. I am not aligned with Jesus Christ who lives within me. See how it works? Jesus lives within me. If he says that somebody is forgiven, I simply need to agree with him. And when I do, I'm aligned, I'm aligned with Christ. I'm abiding. Jesus lives within me. He says that someone such and such is lovable. And he asks whether I agree with him. And when I do, I find myself in perfect alignment with Jesus who lives within me. If I don't, well, I lose my abiding. I'm no longer aligned with, with Christ who lives within me. I've been waiting for a film to come out this summer. I'm going to go ahead and say that probably none of you have seen it. It's called A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. It's a Tom Hanks film. It's a, a film based on the life of Fred Rogers. We don't know Fred Rogers so much in Australia, but in America he was a, a children's um, television host. Um, did this television show uh, called The Fred Rogers Show, I believe, for, for decades, and, and Americans know him and love him. What you probably, probably don't realize, and I didn't until I did a bit of research into this, was he's a Presbyterian minister. In fact, the Presbyterian church ordained him to go into television to, to actually minister to, to children. And uh, so, so the story is actually um, based on a, a, a real-life event where an investigative journalist by the name of Lloyd Vogel um, is being asked to do an interview for Esquire magazine on Fred Rogers. Now, for him, this is career-crushing. For him, he's a hard-nosed investigative journalist who kind of gets to the real truth of an issue and often breaking a few people in the process. So when he's asked to, to do this kind of 
story on Fred Rogers, well, he's out to expose the real Fred Rogers. What he doesn't realize is that Fred Rogers actually starts to expose some hurt and anger and unresolved father issues in his own life and and ends up being a real instrument of healing for, for Lloyd Vogel. But there's this one moment, though, and you can just see on set, they're about 40 minutes behind because Fred Rogers is just spending some, some time with a, with a child who obviously has some learning difficulties and so forth, and, and the relationship that he builds with him is just remarkable. And, and eventually he comes off set to talk to Lloyd and... And Lloyd just doesn't get it. He's trying to work out this guy. He's convinced of one thing. He can't be the real thing. He can't be who he says he is. And all he's got to do is, is kind of expose him for, for, the, for the fraud that he is. And, and he's, that's his article. And he sits down with him and he asks him this probing question about how does he do what he does? And, and Fred Rogers says, well, I, I, just, I, just, I just love people. And I love kids and, and I try to get down on their level and, and draw out the best in them. And he's kind of saying, yeah, but what about, what about the character, Mr. Rogers? How does he handle this? And Tom Hanks playing this role, based on a true story, stares back at him and he says, I'm sorry, I, I don't understand your question. What do you mean, Mr. Rogers? And there's this moment that dawns upon Lloyd Vogel's face. It dawns upon him, they're one and the same. There's no persona. There's no Fred Rogers, the actor, and Mr. Rogers, the character. They're both the same person. He's not putting this on. He's not acting. This is not... This is not like normal television. This is just him being him. And the penny drops for him. And he's kind of, he's just stunned by this moment. Because the truth is that the love that was obviously in Fred Rogers' heart for other people, and in in particular children, it was a God-given love. It was a heart that, that God had shaped and it was reflecting God's own love so that Fred didn't have to act. When we are called to love God and to love others, we don't have to act. We simply, in relationship with God, need to let his love flow through us to others. It's the most real, authentic, genuine thing there is. The Christian life should, should never be an act. But going back to our original question, what is God's love language? I think John is saying here, our obedience. Obeying his commands, obeying his word, walking as Jesus walked. Because when we do that, It demonstrates that we know God, we are truly in relationship with him because there's no other way to produce that kind of fruit. And it demonstrates that we love God because now we understand that his love is in our hearts. And again, 
There's no other explanation for that. There is no other way to understand it except that God and his love is truly dwelling in our hearts. John goes on, and I won't spend a lot of time on this, but in verse 7 and 8 he, he says, this is actually not a new command, and of course it's not. He's already spoken about it in John, John chapter 14. This is not a new command, but in one sense it is a new command because you're seeing it in a new way. God's people have always meant to be um, lantern carriers of God's love, but since Christ now dwells within us, it's not like we carry about his love like a lantern we actually shine his love from within us. It's almost like Christians all over the world, instead of seeing a, the, the globe with little spotlights all around it as we carry our lanterns of love, it's almost like Christians rising up like the dawn of a new day, a whole new day shining because the love of Christ is now shining from us. And, and so in that sense, we are realizing it is a new command. But then in verses 9 to 11, John gives this sober warning. It seems apparently that there is a dimmer switch on our hearts. Huh. He actually points this out by saying that if you actually hate a brother or sister in Christ, you are not walking in the light, you are walking in darkness. If you have love for a brother and sister in Christ, well, you are walking in light. And, well, you are truly abiding in Christ. But that's talking about the difference between somebody who is in God's family and not. But there's another application, and that is for all of us who are in God's family, apparently there is a dimmer switch on our hearts. And as people move in and, and out of our lives, we have a choice are we going to dim the light and the love of Christ in our heart for them or keep it turned up nice and bright? Apparently, we have that choice. And John's caution here is, listen, some difficult people, maybe even people within the body of Christ, from time to time may move in and out of your life. When they do, you may be tempted to to withhold some of the light and some of the love in your heart from them. Don't do that. Because when you turn down, when you grab that dimmer switch and you turn down the light and the love of Jesus Christ for that person, you yourself are plunged into darkness. And you yourself will find it more difficult to find truth. You yourself will find yourself stumbling around and not being free in Christ as you should be. John is encouraging all of us in, as the people of God, as people move in and out of our lives, some easy to love, some difficult to love, as we people move in and out of our lives, he is encouraging all of us to keep that dimmer switch of light and love turned right up full. In that way, you will not only benefit them, but you will have the benefit yourself of walking in the light, of walking in truth, of being absolutely free in Jesus Christ. Application for this message for us today? Well, back in chapter 1, verse 7, John said, First John, John said, here are the benefits of walking in the light. Firstly, number one, you have fellowship with each other. Number two, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. They're connected. 
They connected. Because the blood of Jesus purifies me from my sin and I know it. And Jesus, who lives within me, says, Stuart, you believe that to be true, don't you? And I say, absolutely, Jesus, thank you. I thank you that your blood purifies me. And then he says, do you believe it for yourself? I said, absolutely, God. Sometimes I've struggled, but I believe it for myself. Will you believe it for others? I believe it for myself, Lord. Yeah, would you believe it for some, somebody else, would you? Hey, what about other brothers and sisters in Christ? Lord, I want you to know this. I really believe it for myself. Yes, Stu, can we just press in a little bit here? Do you believe this to be true for others? You're not going to give up, are you, Jesus? No, I'm not, Stuart. The forgiveness that I have for you, do you believe that to be true for others? Yes, I do, Jesus. Well, praise God, we're aligned. We're on the same page. That's good stuff, Stu. And you know what? It means you can have fellowship with them. You see, the fellowship that we share with one another is based on the fact that we understand at this table that my sins are forgiven and that your sins are forgiven as well. This is kind of on even ground and we all approach it the same way. We all come to the table of grace and we all understand at once I have been forgiven for my sin and you and whoever it is that is, that is coming and, and taking these elements it's like grace food is, is also understanding that their sins are forgiven too. On that basis, we have fellowship with, with one another. The love of God is released in our midst, and, and that's the basis on which the church is unified. It's a beautiful principle, isn't it? And so as we, as we come to the table of grace, um, as usual, I'm going to pray in a moment. I'll ask the band to come up. We'll have a couple of stations. But, but as you take the, the elements, if... If you have made a decision, I will trust you, Lord Jesus, to, to forgive me my sin and, and to bring me into relationship with God, an abiding relationship with God. If you, have, if you have come to that place so that these elements are real for you, then remind yourself once again. Remind yourself who you now are in Jesus Christ. Remind yourself that you are now a child of God. Remind yourself of that fact. My sins have been forgiven. Allow Jesus to speak that over you. But remember, he has also spoken it over everybody else who approaches the same table. And on that basis, we have fellowship with one another. And there is a caution in Scripture that says, if, if, you, don't, if you don't agree with me, that I actually have forgiven others who, who may have offended you, who you don't find so easy to love, if, if you're not on the same page, please don't take these elements because, because actually you'll defile them. You'll defile the very truth that they represent. Just sit with me and come to a place where in your heart you can believe that what is true for you is also true for them so that fellowship can be restored. And that's... That's a, a scriptural caution, and that's the basis, basis for it. So, so let me pray. I'll invite the band to, to come up. They'll play in the background. And, and this is one of those meaningful times where we hold two very real symbols that form the basis of our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. Jesus, I want to thank you um, so much for your word. 
It is living and active. It is like a double-edged sword. It cuts between bone and marrow. And you have a way of just getting to the heart of a matter, don't you? And I thank you for this wonderful reminder, this reassurance that, that we, can, we can have. That we are in relationship with you. We are abiding with you. And we know it from the fruit that only you could produce. And tonight we want to ask for more of that fruit, particularly the fruit you love most, which is love. Would you, would you bring about more fruit, much fruit, an abundance of fruit, a harvest of fruit in our lives and in each other's lives as well? Would it just be an abounding love? A love that knows no boundaries. A love that could only be born of you. A love which comes from your heart, reflects your heart. A love that is based on the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for these elements and the reminder, Lord, that wherever we've failed, wherever we've fallen short of your glory, we simply need to confess it, agree with you that that's the case. And then based on your character, because you're faithful, because you're just, we can trust you that you will always keep your promise. You forgive us our sin and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Jesus. That's true. When we drink that cup, when we, when we take that bread, we are declaring these things to be true. You are our atonement, our advocate. You cover us. You cover me and everyone else who approaches your table. Praise Jesus.